we can hear you so well. That crispy, smooth, perfect. deep voice of yours. Yeah. So perfect. It's like the, the like the Simpsons episode where uh on the snake whacking day where was it Chuck Berry or Barry? No, Barry White. Was it Barry White? He had that deep voice and all the snakes. Oh, yeah, they have to be Barry White. Yeah, I was I was mixing them up, but Barry White, he was he was speaking, and all the snakes came out because they heard that deep rumble. <laughs> Who knows whacking day? No one? Okay. Someone out there knows whacking day. I got nothing. Jim. All right. So you're just telling us that you withdrew from the U.S. Open today because you can't find vacation time, yet you were just on vacation for the last seven weeks. <laughs> well, that's why I can't find any more vacation time. You literally well, were on vacation for like two weeks. There goes your Moscone Cup chances, buddy. You, listen, you, you you talk about you talk about scheduling and, and, and tournaments overlapping each other. Just in that week alone, just in that week alone for, for, for me, for, two, for tournaments I would play, and just in that week alone was the... Uh, the US Open, obviously. I was selected to play at the Blackball World Championships for the Netherlands. I had to say no to that. I was uh, would normally have been playing the European uh, Seniors Championships on the on the, the the nine foot, and there is a GB nine. And at the moment, um, if I can get rid of one day work, then I'll be able to go to the GB nine. But the rest of it, I can forget about. So. Just all happened at the wrong time. Yeah, it was it was actually the European Open getting moved from November to August that screwed up all my planning and my days, uh, and I had to take extra days to get the time off in uh, in, in August and stuff like that. So, yeah. Oh, your well. life sounds your life sounds sad. It's it's, it's awful. My my work does inter interrupt my my mediocre pool career. Well, we are going to talk more about overlapping events because, of course, the Texas Open and the Turning Stone just happened. Uh, but that'll be later on. Demetrius, you were at Turning Stone. How'd it go? Uh, it was. I had a good time. Um, it was a bummer. I um, I had to. Uh, I, I did not cash because uh, I played a rough. My, I had a second. My second round was tough, um, and I I ended up losing uh, my second. I had a kind of a tougher bracket where I had to play a lot of strong players early on and uh, I, I couldn't settle in uh in time and so he he uh, sent me to the b side and then uh and then my buddy i went out there with jesse engel we were chopping and we went out there together and uh you know he he ended up losing his third round so then uh to get in the money we i, I won my matches on the b side to get to the money you know, the bubble round and then uh had to play jesse and it's just a terrible yeah. spot to be because it's kind of like it happens all the time right no no problem it's just it's just one of those things where one of us doesn't really get a second chance then. And so we played it out. Neither one of us really like knew, like in the past I've let Jesse go on because he's just a better player and he does really well. Uh, we're chopping, but uh, you know, we played it out. He beat me nine, eight. And then, uh, you know, so I, I just felt like I didn't ever really get a chance to get going. Uh, I had a tough player early kind of put me on the B side and then I started playing. Okay. But I, at least I did my job of getting, to the Jesse match so that nobody could sneak by and beat him. But, but uh, I, I guess I just didn't really get a chance is how it felt. Um, it's not true. I had a chance of the match. I lost, of course, the first one, but uh, it, sometimes you don't get much runway to get the plate up in the air. And I just couldn't get it going in time. And, uh, but then Jesse went on a little tear and beat some good players. And uh, I think he won four more matches to get to the uh, fifth place. Um, yeah. He would have liked to have gotten to the finals. I think that, he was live. He was playing well, but you know it's a tough tournament. So at least uh, he got he got the money for the corporation, and uh, 
you know, we did okay. Sure. So were you around for the, the infamous blow up at this point? Seems like yeah, I was, I was blown up for Earl and Bucky Which were on one? the next table. <laughs> well, Earl, well, so Earl and Bucky were on the, this is actually funny. Earl and Bucky were on the next table to me when Je I was watching Jesse play Donnie Mills. But then the other cool, I guess the good news, if there was any good rules, is that uh, Jesse, after winning his first match past me, was supposed to play the winner of uh, Michael Yednick and Shane Van Boning. And so then when Shane forfeited out, Jesse ended up playing Yednick instead. And uh, and then, you know, ended up winning that one in a couple more matches. So I'll tell you, I, you know, Shane forfeiting out, I mean, it ended up uh, – not to say that Jesse couldn't have taken a set off Shane, but you know, eh, it wasn't all bad for the corporation. <laughs> there's a there's a little bit of a difference going from Michael Yednick to Shane Van Boning, or vice yeah. versa, I guess I should say, right? Yeah. <laughs> a little bit, you know, it's a little bit. So uh I, I guess I I don't know. Do we have anything else we should be starting with besides that that melt? I don't know. I don't know if I, I think I think we should talk. I love this. Let's just get it out of the way. Let's just talk about. It. I know everyone's, sure. you know. So for people that don't know, why don't you why don't you cover for for people that? Demetrius, you were there, man. Let's hear. It. Okay. You were there. <laughs> okay. So so there was two people that backed out of the uh, out of the tournament, Shane and Earl. And who do we who do we want to start with? Well, Shane, my understanding is Shane just. It's not like he he quit out because he was like a sore loser or anything like that. He just. He 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 lost an early-ish match and decided that uh, his travel schedule was more important at that point in time than trying to grind through a B-side. And at the end of the day, like he doesn't need the money. This isn't like some sort of huge event that's going to be matchroom points or anything like that. It's just he decided that it wasn't in his best interest to stay in the tournament, so he decided to put his travel schedule ahead of it. Right? I mean, so there was there was like three or four different things that like I kept hearing different versions of what happened. The first thing that I heard. That was, yeah, see right there. So Mike Drop just posted, Jeremy Sosi cheated and SVB quit. So now this is what, this was the first thing that I heard. And Jeremy, so the, the Turning Stone rules, Mike Zuglin, he runs it. And uh, he, he does this thing where he says it's all ball fouls, but only while you're shooting the shot. So what that means is, is that if you are bump a ball and then you stop and say, hey, I bumped the ball, they can put it back like normal. But if you're shooting the shot and as you shoot, you bump a ball, that would be a foul. That's his version of all ball fouls. So the problem, Jim's shaking his head. Jim, I already know why you're shaking your head. Explain to the audience why that's a bad idea. <laughs> oh, I, well, we, I think we all know. I mean, you, you, then you're, you're bringing rules up for interpretation and then you have arguments between players saying it was a play in the shot, it was not play in the shot. Just say it's a foul or it's not a foul, simple as that. And for me, the whole all ball fouls, it's just, that is just normal, surely. It's, you know, be careful. You know, don't touch another ball when you're playing. Simple as that. You know, it's, anyway. Well, I think we, we all, you can't have all ball fouls without having a ref on every single table at the end of the day. Exactly. You can't. Exactly. It's impossible to do. You can't. You can if you've got honest players. Well, like I said, you can't do it. <laughs> so, okay, okay. So this is – we could definitely get down into a debate about all-ball fouls, but here's the problem. Without referees, there's two problems. Number one, some players will admit to fouls, other players won't. And so without referees, you end up rewarding the dishonest players and penalizing the honest players. But the other problem is that sometimes people just don't know if their shirt brushes a ball. You know. So here's what happened. Uh, Jeremy Sosi was shooting, and as he shot – Shane called foul. He said his shirt brushed a ball. 
Jeremy didn't think it was a foul. And so the problem was some people that were watching said, yes, it was. Some other people said they didn't see anything. So then Shane called foul. Jeremy didn't want to give up ball in hand. So so Shane asked for Mike Zuglin. He got the tournament director over. And what does Mike say? Mike says, well, there was nobody watching. You didn't call a ref. We didn't, we didn't see it. The tie is always going to go to the shooter. So that's just the point of, like, again, without referees, that's a, it's a really, really – the reason why all – you know, matchroom events with referees are all ball foul. But when you don't have referees, they don't play that rule. I don't think anybody plays that rule without refs. But anyway, so Shane got upset. And this is what I heard is that he got upset about that. He, uh, he, you know, he thought that, uh, you know, so he kind of cheated and that he was upset. And that that's why he just quit the tournament. That's the first thing I heard. After that, in retrospect, like hours later, maybe even the next day on social media, the official story there was other stories. So there was like three, two or three other things. And one of the things that I know to be true was he made a big score at the casino. Like everybody, you know, was, it was like 40 grand or a little over 40 grand. And oh so God, he was yeah. saying he, and then he had a trip going to the Philippines for this big other match he's got. So he was saying that he had to leave early because he couldn't carry that much cash to the Philippines and he had to make time to, you know, to, to go and get to the bank and deposit money. And he just has other stuff coming up. And so that was kind of his official stories that he had to, he had to get out. But, um, but anyway, the, uh, you know, so it's, so I don't know, I don't know what the real reason is, but I'll just say my opinion. Cause it's pretty short is that, you know, Shane can do what Shane wants to do. Uh, I think it's not a, you know, people, a lot of people that are listening to this have been in spots where they've been playing like a weekly tournament that they've played a hundred times. And all of a sudden they're just like, yeah, I don't want to wait three hours to fight over 50 bucks. I'm going to leave. And so if anybody's ever made that decision to Shane, this is just the same thing. And, you know, I, I, I feel like people can kind of do what they want to do. And it's not a, it's not like a professional sport where he's on contract with something. So I, I, I'm not saying I do it, uh, but I'm not going to be too critical of a person for doing what they want to do. It's his tournament. What do you guys think? I, Mike, the only, the only, I, I only have I only have really one one um, uh, feeling about that, that when these kind of things happen when somebody just decides I'm not going to play anymore. For me, yes, you're quite within your right to do that, but it stinks for the guy you've just beaten. So I would like to see that you know if somebody does that. If it let, if this is my tournament, then I'm I don't know who did who did Shane beat before he quit. Well, he lost a match and then quit. So to be fair. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he, he he quit after losing. He didn't he didn't play another match and win. Correct. Okay, then, then for me, then for me, fine. Walk away if you want to walk away. I mean, who cares? I only have a problem if somebody wins a match, and then they walk away. That makes sense. For me, then I would promote the guy that you beat into your spot, and then send you home. You know, um, because that's unfair. And you see that happening a lot when it when it when it becomes ranking points. You know, to qualify for other tournaments. You know, we have it here. Maybe there's. Uh, tournaments. I've done it myself. You know that I only need so many points to qualify for the for, for for the finals, for the Masters, and I leave in the quarterfinals. And it's shitty to do that because you may just have knocked out somebody who, you know, who needed the points. Um, it's a tough one. Um, Shane, Shane can do whatever he likes. I mean, well, that's. I, I want to give Mike a, a chance here, but would we would we care at all if this was Jesse Engel who did this? Like I, I'm only saying this because he had a big, <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to say right? there's some money yeah, out the yeah, window you, right there. Yeah, well, that's an interest. Corporation I mean, look, would be a little interested. Um, Aaron Greenwood got seventh eighth. Would we care if this was Aaron Greenwood? 
I mean, I think the only reason we give a crap is because it's Shane and he's in a spotlight like, you know, he's in a spotlight like no others. And does that, you know, with great power comes great responsibility, right? So the idea yes. that because he is that, he should act differently. Now, uh, I've heard all three of those stories too, Dimitri. I think, I think what it comes down to for me is like, I think Matt, I kind of said this earlier, and I think Matt uh, Poland says it perfectly. Like, if this was the U.S. Open, there's no way he does this. If this is the European Open, there's no way he does this. If this is, you know, you know maybe even, Der- you know, Derby City Classic, he doesn't do this. This is, it's a great event uh, ran by some great people in a great venue with, you know, great everything. But it's still just a turning stone classic that happens twice a year and, it doesn't mean all that much in the grand scheme of things. This is, you know, this isn't even going to make his Wikipedia page probably. And if it is, it's on like the fiftieth page. Like the it, the the point is, is like, what does it what does it matter if he does this? Like, we're, why we're does he kinda, well, why, why does he enter then? Well, why would you turn down an opportunity to make what is first place in this event? Like probably 8, six or seven, eight thousand. You know he's he's a favorite to play in this. It's not like it's not like Joshua Filler showing up to this Fedor Gorst. I mean, it, there's there's probably six players in this field that he's got to fade to win eight thousand dollars. I mean, why wouldn't you? Now the idea like that that is reassessed very quickly once you lose early on, especially in the way that he lost. I mean, is there some sour grapes in there? Probably. Is he a little maybe pissy because you know for what he thinks Jeremy, you know, cheated him? Probably, but. At the end of the day, I mean, what's what's the big deal? I, you know, I don't know, Mike. What do you think? I mean, there's a couple of ways of looking at it. One is, you know, if you're trying to promote professional pool and say you're a professional pool player, you don't bail out in the middle of a tournament. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty simple. Plus, but it happens know, in tennis versus, all the time. Shane it does happen just, in other sports. Um, not and usually because someone's disinterested. Well, it happens uh, in, in golf. golf a lot. In golf, yeah, in golf, someone someone who's got no shot of making the cut. Will bail, but they're oh, not Bryson. out of the tournament. Well, no, I remember, yeah. I remember, I remember an event earlier, uh, maybe it was last year, where uh, Bryson DeChambeau, you know, hit a bad shot. I think, he, I think he may have like hit it into the woods and just like walked off the court. Or uh, no, it was no, it was um, oh crap, the uh, the it's the African American guy that was really popular back in like the late '90s with Tiger. Um, he's from South Africa, I think. Someone's gonna basically he signed a live contract. He like three putted and just walked off the course on hole like sixteen. <laughs> what the hell's his name? Someone, someone, someone will know. Anyways, go ahead. Hey, no, no, yeah, BJ Singh. Know, just that and BJ Singh from yeah. Fiji. <laughs> okay. Oh, is he? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it just the other the other side of it is you know Shane compared to Jesse Angle is there's there's expectations and obligations that go with with who you you know who you are and what you're supposed to mean to the event if you post if your face is all over the posters and you're the marquee guy and people drive to verona with freaking new york to watch you play there there's a little bit of expectation a little bit of obligation involved um so you know you got this guy who's putting on this big you know sticking up for the youth and putting out a big youth tournament and he bails in the middle of a pro tournament i don't think that looks good so yeah and- you know, and yeah. if it's to go home and, and put money in the bank because you want all this money at the casino, again, I mean, there's there's ways to handle things. I'm not 100% sure that was the right way to do it. Uh, and, and you're right, it's turning stone. It's not the U.S. Open, whatever. Um, but, you know, if, it, if there was a pro tour, whatever, I would assume he'd be fined. Um, if it's the 
Turning Stone Classic, I would assume Mike Zuglin would have some, you know, say in the future as to how far he's going to bend over to help Shane, you know, in the future with late payments or signing up at the last minute, whatever, things like that. I mean, so there's, there's, there's push and shove. I mean, there's, you know, give and take that goes into that. Uh, you know, I just don't think it's a great, it's a great look period for anybody ever. Um, you know, Earl's the other side of that, but. Yeah, I, I couldn't, you said it perfectly. You said it perfectly. And, and somebody uh, mentioned, and I think you mentioned as well, you know, it's about the example. Mike DeMarco said it's about the example. I mean, there's there's junior players competing in this tournament. There's people that look up, you know, to Shane. So, uh, okay, I, I think that there's, but there's, you know, extremes, right? There's people that are like, oh, he can do whatever he wants. It doesn't matter. There's other people that are like, oh my gosh, that's so unsportsmanlike and he should be banned and blah, blah, blah. Like, I just feel like there's somewhere in the middle where we could just be like, look, I wouldn't do it. I don't think it's the right thing to do in general. Like it just because you have, you know, if you, if are we doing, are you a pool player selfishly for the best bottom line for you day by day, you could do whatever you want with nothing owed to anybody. Or are you part of a social community where you're setting an example and entertaining spectators and providing challenge for your opponents and a draw for the tournament, you know, it's everybody going to do it themselves. So I think most people like it to be beyond just a selfish endeavor. Uh, but, and Shane, but generally speaking, Shane is. And so maybe he had a bad day or whatever. So in the, in the end, we can look at it and say, yeah, it's probably, it's not great, but it's pool. Things happen. Move on. I don't think it's, it has to be a big deal. <laughs> it's pools is a, is a term we use way too often for something exactly. aspiring to be, for something to, aspiring to be a professional sport. Exactly. It's pool is just used way too often as a crutch. It's, yeah, that, that, that phrase basically just accepts mediocrity and unprofessionalism. <laughs> it's not, it's, it's no, it shouldn't be like, sorry, we, we shouldn't be saying it's just pool. We should be saying that's not what we want. Pool shouldn't be like that. That shouldn't be pool. That should be, that should be amateur scummy pool, if you want to call it, but that should not be professional pool. You know, I, I mean, I, I assume the Turning Stone has sponsorship. They had 25,000 added. You know, they got, does this hurt sponsorship? You know, I'm, Shane's the big guy. They want to announce that Shane Dundonning's playing Turning Stone. They want to announce that Jason Shaw's playing Turning Stone. You know, it's good for the viewers. It's good for, for bringing the public in. It's good for sponsorship. Does this hurt them for next for next one for the sponsorship? I saw somebody coming uh, a post coming back saying it was eight thousand for first place. It's going to be ten thousand for uh, for the next uh, uh, event. I assume it's Demetrius or no? I assume it's the same uh, money to get into the event. He's so actually he's raising money. he's raising the entry fees fifty dollars. Yeah, fifty dollars is in, so okay. So it's not coming from outside. That money, but is it's I get event. your point. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But yeah, the, the, you know, the, the, it's 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 it is slightly damaging for the event, you know. And uh, I don't like it. I don't like that 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 the, these things happen. But you know, I mean, again, the the this, the consensus of opinion will be, yeah, it's pretty shitty what he did, but we're not going to do anything because it's Shane. And that's but, basically what's going to happen, yeah. you know. Yeah. Is, is Turning Stone going to turn around and say, Shane, you're not invited for the next event? We're not giving you a spot in the next event because of what you did. No, they're not going to do that. Of course, they're not going to do that. They might do that to me or to or, 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 or to me, just, but they're not going to do that to Shane Lamboni, are they? So nothing's going to happen. And it's Shane just. I mean, he won. Apparently, he won a buttload in the in the in the casino. So I mean, he made his money. He made more in the casino than he would have won by winning the tournament anyway. So he's he's taking his money. He's gone. 
Okay. I, I mean, it, it comes down to what I said kind of in the beginning, I think for me is like, if, if this was somebody else, if this was Aaron Greenwood or, uh, you know, Alex Bausch, would we care? Like, would, would we even be talking about it? No, that's, that's the, that's the funny part. So, but I, you know, in the end, I, I also just wanted to mention too, somebody made a comment that they, they didn't believe that Jeremy Sosi would ever, uh, in, you know, deliberately cheat. So I just, I think that's, that's worth reiterating and saying that, uh, Jeremy Sosi played a heck of a tournament. He did beat Shane. It was a heck of a performance. Uh, I watched him play Donnie Mills. I watched him play Earl. Uh, he, he did not win those matches, but uh, he's a heck of a player, man. And I, uh, I think that, it's kind of a bummer. I, I don't want to get into a Moss Pony Cup conversation, but I do think Jeremy Solis, he he's a really, really good pool player, man. And not just, not only does he play the game well, he's real steady. He play, he, he does real well against stronger players, like, you know, the top players. He he represents himself well. He delivers all of his game. He's, he's in gritty every match. You very rarely see him just, you know, turn in a week set. He's always super tough and uh and he plays great. He really plays the game great, moves great, runs out great. Um anyway, just it's always fun to watch Jeremy play. Yeah, no, he's a great player and I don't think, you know I don't think I've ever heard anybody consider Jeremy Sose uh uh you know someone who would cheat or looks for angles or makes moves or things like that. So who knows what happened in this situation. I don't know, you know, if he says he didn't foul I don't know how you would know whether or not you fouled if your shirt touched the ball, if you're shooting the ball. You know, in that case, do you just defer to the guy who called the foul, assuming that he's not a cheater and he's right? Whatever the case is. But in, in any event, they, they couldn't they couldn't iron it out. And Mike went with the, you know, tie goes to the runner rule. So, um, you know, but Jeremy Sosa, yeah, he's a great player. And, and I don't think I've ever heard anybody say anything bad about him. So, um, you know, it's just an unfortunate situation. Yeah, well, Jesse told me he says I've never won four figures because of uh, he's like I think I uh, I think the real star of this tournament was uh, Jeremy Sosi's black polo shirt because <laughs> after he uh, he got the advance past Shane Van Boren because uh, after Shane backed out he's like yeah I think I owe Shane he's like I think I need to jelly roll to Sosi's uh, black polo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, uh, so all right, let's move on to Earl then because. Uh, well, Demetrius, you were there. You want to explain this one too? Kind of what happened from your vantage point? Yeah, and so I, I was there the whole time, but I didn't really start giving it attention until it kind of escalated. And so I know there's going to be people in the chat that are talking, but I do think that uh, what was going on was there were some vocal railbirds that were kind of not provoking. Well, maybe, maybe, is you know, maybe provoking Earl a little bit. Uh, it's hard to know though, because the level of provocation that it takes to trigger Earl versus what it would take to trigger me, or there's different there's different sensitivity levels to where if somebody was going to trigger me during a, a pool match, you know, they'd have to be like pretty vocal and you know uh, confrontational. With Earl, sometimes it just takes a little pause after an opponent's shot to set him off, so it's hard to know. But but what happened was uh, there was somebody here in the chat that said that somebody was betting on uh, he was playing Bucky. Um, I, I don't know his last name. It's like a long Suvin doll or whatever. Anyway, um, somebody was saying that they were vocally betting against Earl when Earl was like at the table and they were kind of talking about how they were pulling for the other guy. And so Earl started kind of getting into it with the, the spectators a little bit as happens. And then he started getting into it with Bucky a little bit. And something about the way he was putting the chocks on the table, him and Earl were like, Earl was kind of snapping at him about something about how he put the chocks in the table. And if they were, I don't know if he was like 
didn't like that he was putting them on the lip of the pocket or because they could fall in or if he was putting them upside down. I don't know what the deal was, but Earl was, they were getting into it about where Bucky was putting the shots. And so it seemed like Earl was kind of starting stuff with Bucky because, I mean, the guy puts the chalk down where he wants to put the chalk down. I mean, what's the issue? It's his chalk, right? But then but then where it, where it snapped was, and this is what people see on YouTube. There's a clip of it. Somebody just, uh, Emil just posted, where Earl broke the balls and the cue ball was racing towards the corner. And so Earl, like, angrily reaches his hand in the pocket to catch the cue ball. But then the cue ball doesn't fall, so he pulls his hand out of the pocket and goes and like walks away from the table, and or maybe maybe he made up all the breaks. So anyway, he was just he stood back up and and then Bucky's, you know, because they've been kind of getting into it already, and Earl was kind of bullying him a little bit and picking on him. Then Bucky's like, "Well, what happened there?" He's like, "You know, you did you touch the cue ball? Did you stop it from falling in?" And uh, and Earl's like, "What are you talking about? Of course I didn't." And he's like, "Well, why would you put hand there?" You know, so then Bucky started getting on him because, you know the cue ball was racing into the pocket. Earl reached his hand and that's not really what you do. And so then Earl got really mad and he called him an a-hole and broke down his cue. He said, you know what? I quit. I don't want to play people like you and all these, you know, and he just stormed out. That's, that's basically what I saw. What I, what I heard was that, and I, I, I believe this because it's happened before is that he, he didn't like Bucky tapping the chalk on the rail that's when the right, cue ball was right. ro rolling or something, you know? And I, I remember years ago at a tournament in Turning Stone, Earl was playing Bustamante and challenged him to made him stop tapping his chalk on the rail because he was convinced it could affect the roll of the balls. <laughs> I did hear that. Thank you. When Bucky wants the cue ball to flow down, so he's tapping the chalk on the rail. Yeah, and I mean, Earl thinks that's affecting the yeah. yeah. So, uh, but you know, the, the whole thing with, with uh, rail birds and Earl and, uh, you know, where it starts, we all know where it ends. Where it starts can be, good afternoon, Mr. Strickland. Uh, so, you know, it's just, it's another one of, you know, people will get online and say, well, that's just Earl, he's one of the greatest players ever, and you got to give him some slack and whatever. There's a limit to that too, right? Uh, how, how long and how often we can, we can use that as an excuse, um, you know. I mean, I, I hope there's. You would think there not, would not be a lot of Moscone Cup discussion after that. <laughs> Thoughts? I mean, I actually want. I actually want to see him make the Moscone Cup now. Yeah, you know what? I'd like to see. I'd like to see him make the Moscone Cup, shoot the winning nine ball, have the cue ball racing towards a corner pocket, and then tap the chalk on the table and have the thing just hit the brakes and stop. That would be. That's. Maybe he can show me how that's done. <laughs> I know, I know damn well that if he makes the team, the entire Europe team is going to just put the chalk upside down and tap it that way. Just, just get it, those, those get, just get those rails all nice and chalky and just really, you know, just rip them apart from you know a mental standpoint. I don't, Jim. You've been shaking your head. What do you think? Oh my goodness. Um... I've got nothing to say that hasn't already been said about Errol. It's Errol. And these things happen. And they only seem to happen to Errol. Will this have any effect on whether or not he makes the Moscone Cup team or not? I really don't think so. I think the, the, the reason he makes the Moscone Cup team is because he's Errol. And that's all part of the Errol thing, you know. 
if, if Earl's in the Moscone Cup team, it's it's he can still shoot. You know, the guy can still play. You know, he's not a bad player. I mean, there are pieces of his game that don't match up against the top players now, the way they matched up against them 20 years ago. That he's still a very, very decent nine-ball player. And there's not that many American players that are clearly better than him. It's about whether or not he has these mental breakdowns during matches. And you would think in races to five, it's less likely that he's going to have some sort of meltdown, but it's still highly likely that he's going to have some sort of meltdown. And yes, everybody in the European team, everybody in the European crowd will be doing their best to try and get him into that kind of frame of mind. Of course, that's what they want. That's why That's why Matchroom would like to have him in the team as well, because they want that television stuff. You know, it's exciting. You know, they'll, they'll, they make the whole build-up like they did in the last Moscone Cup about Errol being back. They, you know, it was a shame that he, that he didn't get to play last time. Um, would I put him in the team? No, hell no. No way. <laughs> you know, if it was completely up to me and I was the American captain, there's no chance I'd have him anywhere near my team. But I wouldn't say that what happened uh, this week is going to have any effect over whether it's a yes or a no for him, because the reason why it would be a yes is because it's Errol. And that's what, that's what Errol brings, you know. He brings, if he doesn't bring it, he brings the possibility of it happening, which is sometimes enough to get the excitement levels up, you know. Yeah, and, oh, sorry, go ahead, Nate, go ahead. Well, I was just going to try to bring it back just to actual conduct before we actually, like, get sidetracked on the Moscone because I do want to have the discussion on the Moscone cup, but I, I, th- I think that we're just like completely overlooking whether or not the conduct was actually in line or out of line. Well, I wanted to share my opinion on that. So I, I it's one of these things where I feel like everybody's wrong. And so I feel like if the spectator, so, so Earl posted something on social media after this happened, like the next day where he was basically saying people like, you know, people that uh, all the haters that love drama are like following him around and people are always trying to set him off and provoke him and pick fights and poke sticks at him. And he's just like, he's tired of it. He's just trying to play pool and everybody's always trying to like, Hey, maybe we can get him angry. And they're trying to poke the bear all the time because they, for entertainment values to see if they can set him off and laugh about it. And he's just tired of it, you know? So, but, so I can understand how that might feel, but if you quit exploding, they're going to quit poking you real quick. So, but then he can't do that because the problem is, is that, it's it's like I don't find this funny and I don't like to laugh about oh look you see what Earl did because to me okay there's like a mental illness thing and so to have somebody that has some type of you know mental illness where they can't you know control their behavior they really really struggle to control I mean I don't want to make okay that's I don't want to get into like okay he's not accountable for his behavior that's not what I'm saying but if somebody has some type of issues where they have a hard time managing themselves then to follow him around and try to provoke him for entertainment value. I, I don't think that's really admirable behavior from people that, that really enjoy, you know, like the rubbernecking at this stuff. I think that's a little bit like laughing at somebody with a handicap. Like to me, that's not that mature. On the other hand, I don't like Earl's conduct. And there's the, the point at which you go from feeling like Earl's a victim to feeling like he's the, uh, the bully. It's, it's, you know, my stance is like, I'm willing to be empathetic to people that are suffering until they start hurting other people. And then I don't care about your suffering anymore because now you're hurting other people. And when Earl starts bullying Bucky and, and, and doing things that are un, unfair to Bucky, then I feel like he needs to be held accountable and that's not fair. But then how Bucky responds to that 
you know, there's different ways to respond to bullying and you can ask a tournament director or a ref to kind of sit nearby and moderate the behavior, or you can try to fight back and, you know, show that you're not going to take it, which just escalates it further, which is kind of what Bucky did. And so I'm, I just feel like everybody's wrong. People are wrong to provoke him. He's wrong to snap. I, I, I don't mind what Bucky did that much, but it's not how I would have played it. I would have tried to be a little bit more. I played Earl in January. We got along just fine. I mean, it's just, I, I just think that the whole thing is kind of sad and that, and that I think that people need to understand that the guys basically got a mental illness and that if anybody finds any kind of pleasure in in in, in triggering ever laughing about these triggers uh i just i think that's kind of sad i do think that refs have to manage it and that if he if he can't manage it somebody else needs to but that doesn't mean i have to enjoy the process i think it's kind of sad yeah well i mean earl is in the earl is listening in the comments so earl if, if you want to come on to the podcast right now and explain your side of the story we're more than welcome to have you uh just let us know if you want to do that. Uh, Jim, do you have any thoughts on what Dimitri said? I, I mean, I I, 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 I agree with, with, with what Dimitri said, but, but we, we, we and the entire pool world has spent God knows how many years and how many conversations about, about things of the Earl's done and that have happened to Earl and, you know, whether or not it's justified. Yes, people do try and poke him more than anyone else because they want to get a reaction out of Earl, which isn't fair. But has the question is, has Earl brought it on himself with his reactions before? Um, I I would I would love to know from Errol. I mean, he said here that he won't come in. I mean, I've done things that I've not been that I've not been proud of, you know. And then once you've calmed down a little bit, you sit there and go, oh, I wish I'd handled that differently. I wonder how much how much regret or remorse Earl has half an hour afterwards when he's calmed down, when he's away from the table, does he sit and think to himself, I shouldn't have done that. I should have kept my cool. Or does he still think like an hour or three hours later, I was within my rights to do that. The guy was a, being an ass hat and, you know, all these people <laughs> in the crowd are, are, are idiots. Does he still feel that way? Or does he, does he have within himself the, the, the regret of saying, I wish I'd handled that better. I wish I'd just ignored them or just kept it down or just made fun of it kind of thing and just got on with my game because it, it does hurt him. You know, he was playing well. He was doing okay. I mean, okay, he got he got a little bit... He didn't play great against Jason and Jason put him pretty comfortably into the B side, but he was still playing well. He was still in that tournament and he does perform well at Turning Stone. It seems to be a place that he feels quite comfortable. He's hurt himself. He's... He, he, I mean, we can talk about him hurting Poole and, 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 and his behaviour not being a good look for Poole, but he's hurting himself as well when he's doing it. He's hurting himself more than anybody else, really. Yes. Because he's still a great player and he still has it in him to win these events, but it just seems that anybody can get him out of his out of his own head at any time and make sure he's not going to win, you know? And that's just really unfortunate. And that's, I mean, you can call it a, a mental illness, you can call it a weakness uh, in his game. And it's just a shame and people know that it's there and like anything else in any sport when people see a weakness if you're a threat but they know what your weakness is they're going to aim for it and they're going to go for it and that's what people do that's what we'll do at the moscone cup if he's in the moscone cup as much as i i love out the bits he's one of my heroes i know how good the guy can be if we allow him to be that good we can't do that we're going to have to try and you know within within margins you know Try and get him going a little bit and try and, you know, wind him up a little bit. You, you, that's what you've got to do um, because the guy is that good. That if he's comfortable, he's as good as anybody else. But people know how to get him out of that comfort zone. And when, he, when he's out of there, it's a 
slippery slope, very quick bomb down to self-destruction. And that's what we saw against Bucky. Mike, what you got? Oh, no, I think we've covered pretty much all the different angles on, you know, what starts what and how it finishes and why he is the way he is uh, and what kind of talent he has. I was looking forward to turning stone, you know, to see how well he did there. And I was looking forward to U.S. Open to see how well he did there, to see how Earl the player was playing these days. Um, all the other stuff, you know, that's for other people to figure out how to make it work. Uh, but I was just, I was anxious to see how he was, you know, going to do in, a, in an event like that um, and how and I'm still anxious to see how he does at the U.S. Open. Yeah and, and I'll just give one tip so I think if there's a lesson to learn from this you know it's that when you're a pool player um, the there's different ways of handling confrontations be it with spectators or an opponent or a disagreement about a foul or whatever and in the end what's what's always worked well for me has been to not escalate things uh, you know there's just it's not I don't think it's worth it. So we're talking about setting an example. So if the spectators are being rude, you know, you can, you can politely and gently and respectfully say, Hey, you know, I, I know, you, you know, do you mind? I'm sorry. I you know, it's kind of, instead of being like, Hey, I'm trying to play a man, you know, you could, you could be gentle. And if your opponent and you have a disagreement, you can be gentle. Now, once in a while, somebody else is going to try to escalate something, but then you don't have to fight back. You don't have to like prove that you're not going to get run over or punish them or show them that they're not going to bully. You just, you know what? I just find that a gentle approach, if you can't work it out, just, you know, let some small stuff go sometimes. If you really need to get somebody else, get the ref involved. But if you stay mellow and stay calm and stay polite and gentle, uh, a lot of stuff gets diffused and very, very, very rarely. I mean, I, I play a lot of pool and almost never does it get into a situation that's unpleasant. And so I would just encourage people to be ready to let some small stuff go and keep cool and just be bellow and, and don't don't be escalatory. Be the yeah. Let let the fire burn out. That's that's my advice to anybody that's going to tournaments. Well, Errol Errol was in the chat. Well, let's say it's Errol. It could well be one of Errol's reps or, or somebody who's just using Errol's account, saying that a referee would have been nice. Now we know that rep, the, the, all these tournaments, the very few tournaments, if any, have a referee at any at every single table. But there are refs, I assume at Turning Stone, there are referees that are available to be called over for certain shots. If you think there's a shot here that I want a referee to look at, I'm sure they can get called over. Is that right, Demetrius? Yeah, yeah, there's there's a score, yeah. yeah. So, so, I mean, just as Demetrius was saying there, Earl, if it is you that's listening, in that situation, in that situation, instead of reacting, then go your first point of contact rather than your opponent or the crowd should be a referee who's close by, explain your side of the, the situation and say to the referee, I'm not happy about this, I'm not happy about this, and I'm not happy about this. I want you to do something about it. Then let the referee address Bucky, if it's Bucky that you've got an issue with or your opponent, and let the referee or the tournament organisers address anybody in the crowd that you're unhappy with. Because as soon as you yourself then, like Demetri said, as soon as you react to it, you're just damaging yourself. You're damaging your own me mental, your state of mind for the match. You should be concentrating on the match. Let the referees or the organisers deal with it. And I think that's where just that moment of that moment of self awareness that you're 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 reaching a boiling point. It's not a very long moment for somebody like Errol. It very quickly just goes. Whereas other people maybe just take a breath. Right, hold on a sec. I'm not happy with this. I'm going to go and speak to somebody. Whereas Errol just he doesn't take that moment and he just 
the switch goes and then it's over. Then before you know it, the whole thing's just escalated. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess if, if I can give my thoughts on it, I guess I, I kind of look at this, the meltdown, outbreak, whatever you want to call it, in, in three different three different lights. Point number one is we, we'll never really know what, what, what happened with the crowd. Uh, you know, we, we gave Earl the, you know, the option to come on and talk about his side of the story. He doesn't want to. That's There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, that's completely okay. But what that what that means is we're now speculating. And, and of course, we're going to be speculating a little bit because we're only going to be getting one side of it. But the point is, is we don't exactly know what happened on going on with the crowd. Uh, we've had a few people that have jumped in and said, I heard this is what happened. I heard this is what happened. Truth is, we'll never we'll never really know. Um, I've been at a few events that Earl has played at, both singles, uh, both singles events and, of course, tournaments. People like to needle Earl. I mean, at the end of the day, like, they really like to get him going, not because, you know, he's a legend or because he's a 20-time, you know, champion in all these major events, U.S. Opens, world titles, blah, blah, blah. They get him needling. They needle him because it's because it gets a response, right? And he does he does these little antic things that gets the crowd going. And, of course, everybody likes to be a clown and everybody likes to get a good laugh out of the crowd. And, you know, when he was taking those ghost swings at the crowd, what did you hear from the video? You heard people laughing like that, like – if you're if you're heckling Earl from the corner and you get that type of response and you hear people laughing from around the crowd at the response that you got out of them, like at the end of the day, you're a seven year old, but that's exactly what you're looking for. You're looking for that little tiny response that gets everybody laughing. And then you look like this big clown, funny guy who's making Earl blow up again at the end of the day, like no matter what, whether, you know, if there was something that happened that set Earl off from the crowd, and it was warranted, those people got to go. Especially, I love the, I, I think it was Mike Check that said it, or uh, Mike Drop, sorry, that said it. Um, if you're selling tickets. A Freudian right, slip there. If you're selling tickets. He doesn't know. If you're selling tickets to an event for the crowd, you got to have security on, you got to have security there. And now, I don't know, did they have that, Demetrius? Security, no. So if you're selling tickets, you got to have security. You got to have at least somebody there to be able to make sure that the tickets, that you, like the crowd that you have, is going to be staying in line. They can't be interacting with the players. They cannot be down on the on the floor heckling people. If this happened, you got to have security. You just got you you got to. Uh, secondly, I, I guess going to the Bucky aspect of this now, um, you know, you're always going to have you know little little things that, you know, you go back and forth with it and blah, blah, blah. But 4-4, the match was still in check, and it sounds like they were kind of going back and forth the entire event. At some point in time, you probably just got to get somebody over there, like a ref, just to, just to watch the match if you're, if you're needling back and forth. Uh, as, far as, the actual, as far as the actual, like, uh, him putting his hand in the pocket, you can't do that. Everybody knows you can't do that. Now, he, it's not like he did it on purpose. I'll guarantee you, it was just a knee-jerk reaction. He thought he was going to scratch. And he throws his hand into the pocket. Who hasn't done that, right? At some point in time, you've done that in your career, probably more often than you don't, because it's, it's just kind of an involuntary thing. At the end of the day, I, I, I mean, if there's a question that Bucky thought maybe he hit the ball with his hand to keep it from falling, most things go to the shooters. But I honestly think that that one's got to go to the, the opponent there. I was going to ask about that. Pocket, I mean, yeah, take an Earl out of this. Just talking about that situation, like – I. I don't do that. I'm sure I did it when I was like 10, but like, no, you just don't do that. Right. Because you just don't, it's just, everyone knows you don't do that. But if you reach your hand into the pocket 
as if you, I, in my opinion, that's kind of like conceding the scratch. Like once you reach your hand in the pocket, it's kind of like, it's kind of like when the opponent gets on the nine ball and you stand up and, you know, go for the rack. It's kind of like, yeah, that's a concession. Don't, you know, but, but on the other hand, if, if my opponent reached into the pocket and went to grab the cue ball and pulled out their hand, while I would think that that's a concession, I don't know that I would take it either. So it's this weird thing where it's like, I think it's, I don't even know what the right, I, I think the etiquette is, if you're the player that, that reached in the pocket, you should probably concede a foul. But if you're the player playing against the person that reached in the pocket and yanked their hand out, I don't think I would call it. I, I think the etiquette's like weird. Like I wouldn't do either. What about what well, about you, Jim? Or what, I, what do you I, guys think? Well, I would say if you're going to do that, if you put your hand in and there is a question as to whether or not it was hit, I think automatically it goes to the non-shooter. That, I'm, I'm only saying it from that. Bucky asked if he put it, you know, if he hit it with his hand, right? And if the idea is if you put your hand in and there's a question as to whether or not it happened, it should automatically go to the non-shooter just for doing it. But, I mean, that's that's my opinion on it, Jim. It's another one of them, isn't it? I mean, how close, to the cue, how close does the cue ball have to be to the actual pocket before it becomes an issue as to whether or not it's touched your hand or not? I mean, if you well, it was, in, yeah, it was rattling in the jaws. If you put your hand in your pocket, I mean, if, if, if you're doing it up in the kitchen kind of thing, you put the hand in the pocket... And then the ball's just about to cross the kitchen lane. You think, oh, actually, that's missing the pocket. And you pull your hand out. You can't call a foul for that, surely. I mean, I'm allowed to do it. I'm allowed to put my hand wherever I want if I'm in, if I'm playing the match. If if it's my shot at the table, I'm allowed to put my hand wherever I want. Are you saying that I can't walk around the table before I hit my shot and put my hand in a pocket? No. What I'm saying is, if if you put if no, you throw your hand shot. into a if you throw your hand Jim, Jim, what I'm saying is if you throw your hand into a pocket, the ball, the cue ball is flying forward and it ends up hanging. And you think as your opponent, like if I'm playing against you and you're, you throw your hand into the pocket and I think it's going right for the center of the pocket and it ends up hanging. I'm thinking, well, why the heck, why I thought that was going into the center of the pocket. It didn't go yeah, into the center of the pocket. Question. It's hanging and your and, hand is in the pocket. So, but that's my, my and, and that's my question. How far away from the pocket do you have to, if you if you decide to pull your hand out of the pocket, how far away from the pocket does the cue ball have to be before it's never an issue as to whether or not it hit your hand? Well, you want to know how it's never an issue? Don't put your hand you in the pocket. Yeah. That's then you but don't you, have to worry it's about your, it. But it's your <laughs> so, so, you can do, you can do it. Okay, so Jim, well, I, I I get your point, and I I agree with you. That's why I don't think. If I think that under any other circumstances, had Bucky and Earl not been kind of getting into it, I don't think Bucky would have made an issue out of it. It would have been one of those, you shouldn't have done it, but whatever. But uh, I guess my question is, in a matchroom event, in a refereed match, is it a foul to reach your hand in a pocket and then jerk it out if the cue ball is like within, you know, into the jaws? Or is it one of those things like you're saying, hey, I get to put my hands where I want to put my hands. I didn't touch the cue ball, so there's no foul. I got I got exactly the same situation for you. I don't know if you can see my table. Yeah, look. And I'm not going to put my hand in the pocket. But I knock the white I knock the white around the table. And the cue ball's coming towards the pocket. I don't know if you can see. Yep. How, how often have you seen it that a player stands over the pocket as the white's coming towards the cue, as if it's going to hit the cue? And they say, oh, that's going to scratch. And they're just ready to knock it away with the cue. And they go, oh, wait a minute. Are you going to call a foul for that as well? Well, no, because then it's very obvious as whether or not it hits the cue. The point is, is you can put why your hand in there. Why is, why is it not obvious that it's hit your hand? Because if your hand is in the pocket, Jim, it's very hard to tell whether or not it just barely brushes it, your hand to keep it from falling. 
Yeah, but are you not? Are you not? But if you're talking about conceding, if you're not, if you're talking about conceding the scratch, then you're conceding the scratch by putting your cue there as well, no? I think it's a much. I think it's a much harder to tell whether or not the cue ball hangs up because it hits your hand or whether it hits a cue because. But that's we know it. And, and again, that was my initial question: At how far away from your hand is it not an issue? I'm fine. I, well, I'm fine with it being a foul all the time, and that's yeah. what it is in the rule. Hundred percent. You stick your hand in the pocket while I don't care if it's the pocket across the table. You stick your hand in the pocket while the balls are moving. It's a foul. Okay, Fine. then make it a Just foul and do that. But what is the rule? I believe it is in, in in some rule in some rule books. I don't know if it's yeah, this is a problem in some in some. So again, if I go to a tournament in the states, do I have to turn around and say, "Is it a foul if I put my hand in the pocket?" Sure. So is it is it is I it? I look at it like should you have to be whether or not it's a foul. Is it, is, it is it nine on the spot? Is it break box? Is it no break box? Is it three point rule? Is it no three point rule? Is it all ball fouls? Is it not all ball fouls? Can I put my hand in the pocket halfway through my shot? You, no. can, how do I put my chalk on the table? Upside down? The right way around? Am I out? I mean, come on. Yeah, People, yeah, but Jim, but most, Jim, most, most of the things that you're saying there are not potentially affecting the actual table at play. Like putting your hand in a pocket could actually affect the game. Putting your chalk upside down doesn't affect anything. Like, uh, sure, you want to say it makes everything messier. You could end up getting skids, whatever. The point is, is like, if you put your hand in a pocket, it could actually end up like bushing off of your hand, holding up for that reason. And you don't know if you would have scratched whether or not. And well, that's what that, well, that's exactly what theoretically could have happened here. How do we know that it didn't actually hit Earl's hand? And Bucky asked the question, well, did it hit your hand? And Earl said, of course not. Well, that the point is, is that your hand is in the pocket. And there's no possible way that Bucky can know from over there. So he has to take your word for it. Like the idea there's, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure if this wouldn't have escalated the way that it did, I'm sure that Bucky would have taken Earl's uh, word for it. If Earl said it didn't hit, Bucky would have said, okay, I, I believe you. I'm sure that probably would have happened. But the point is, is you have to get to that point where you have to rely on your opponent to be honorable. And there are a lot of people that would not do that. But what you now have is exactly the same situation as Shane against Jeremy. One of them has asked, one of them has asked, is it a foul? And the other one says, no, it's not. So it doesn't matter, but it doesn't matter about the hand in the pocket. It's a situation where one player said, is that a foul? The other one said, no. It's not the same situation, though. This this is this is this is different because Earl Earl did this to himself, right? He put his hand into the pocket. He didn't have to do that. Jeremy Sosi shot a shot. That he had to shoot at, I would assume that he had to shoot it, right? I mean, you're playing nine ball. You have to shoot. The fact that his his shirt, maybe he could have tucked it in deeper. Sure, whatever. But the point is, is he, it happened through a normal execution of a shot. The question was through the normal execution of a shot. Not because Jeremy did something outside the normal play that, that could have potentially affected the outcome of the shot. Jeremy just executed a normal shot, and there was a foul potentially that occurred during it. Earl threw his hand into a pocket that's not a normal thing to do and could have potentially altered the outcome of the shot. So it's I, not I, the same. I, I, I understand. I understand. This is a foul or not a foul. Okay. So my only, my only thing is this. There is a tendency to want it to be black and white. Like, what's the rule? Let's enforce it. Here's what should happen. There should be a ref. This should never happen. There should never, ever be any gray area where there's etiquette involved or there's misinterpretation. And, you know, at what point is the, you know, how far from the pocket or what, how close to the pocket? What if I just, what if I just make a gesture towards me? All this stuff. It's like, look, the, the problem with rules is as much as we want them to be black and white, it's, there's always going to be situations where it's, it's, 
somewhere in between. And I, people don't like that. People want it to be like, well, it should make it perfect. It's like, well, look, the bottom line is, is that if somebody, they shouldn't reach in the pocket and you shouldn't do that. And then if they do that, you know, you, you can't really call foul on it because they didn't touch the cue ball. And what are you going to do? And so in some point, I mean, I, you know, people really don't like the idea. They, everybody in the, uh, some people in the chat really don't like the idea that there should be etiquette. Uh, but there, there is, man, there's a social etiquette and you try to do the right thing and you try to follow the rules as best you can. And once in a while, something's kind of like, yeah, that wasn't what I should have done, but there's not necessarily a penalty for it. And, and sometimes if somebody doesn't follow etiquette once in a while and they do something that that's not really socially approved and then they're like, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. And it's like, that happens. It's just, you and, and people don't like it when it's in a high profile situation, a big match. But the fact is, is that you can't have rigid rules for everything with policemen watching everything. It's just not the way it works. And, you know, it's like we we, we just kind of have a, a set of etiquette, a social convention that we use. And it works really well almost all the time. And once in a while, you get into a little something and, and then you're supposed to let it go. So to me, the fact that this came up is not a, is it an issue is the fact that both players made an issue out of it. And that had more to do with the peripheral stuff. And anyway, I just, I was just curious what the rule was there, but in reality, it's, I, I don't think it needs to be a big issue. Like a lot of things in pool, it depends what rule book you're playing by. Mm. That's it. I mean, we, we should, we should be working towards a standard rule book. And if I, I actually don't care if, if, if you want to call it a foul or don't call it a foul, but you can't, you can't make it. Why make things more complicated than they need to be? You know, it's a stupid thing for L to put his hand in the pocket. If there's, if there's any chance that that could be called a foul for L to put his hands in the pocket, it's stupid of Earl. Completely stupid of him. But the video I saw, you couldn't really see it. There was somebody standing in the way. There was a lot going on. It didn't look to me like the cue ball really got very close to his hand. I don't think so either. But the, so but the so point so, is so 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 it, for me, and this is purely what I saw in the video. It almost looked like Bucky said, um, asked a question that was a, just a ridiculous question to ask in the first place, because there was no way that there was no way the way I looked at it that that could possibly be. No, and even, I, I, well, you're assuming that Bucky's even watching the shot, right? I mean, he, Bucky's probably I'm watching. Well, the break just like, yeah, okay. I'm assuming that Bucky has questioned whether or not Errol made a foul by putting his hand in the pocket. There's a well, lot I of times. I think what happened was Bucky stood up and said, "What was that?" When, yeah, when he stuck his hand in the pocket. Yeah. but you know. Well, a lot of the times, and I, I I've done this. If if my opponent's breaking the balls, and I think that the cue ball is going to scratch, the first thing that I do is look at the table to see what my like with when I get ball in hand coming to this table, what are my prospects? Like that. That's a lot of the time. That's the first thing that I do once I yeah. think that my opponent's so, going to scratch. So if I think they're going to scratch, and then all of a sudden the ball's hanging there, and I know that your hand was in the pocket, maybe what he said was an actual genuine thing. Well, I mean, the the reality was was that you know Bucky felt that Earl was kind of bullying him about the chalk of the rail, and so then when 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 Earl reached his hand in the pocket, what was really going on was Bucky was basically saying. Hey, you're gonna bust my chops about tapping the chalk on the rail. You're reaching in the pocket when the cue ball's racing towards it and then pulling it back out like an amateur. So he's like basically saying, You're gonna pick on me. Well, I'll pick on you. And it was just a pissing contest. And that's what was going on. Now, right or wrong, I just that's it. I did I I was just curious if anyone know the real ruling, but I didn't. I mean, the fact is, I think both. Like I said, I think it's wrong to reach your hand in the pocket. I think it's wrong to make an issue out of it. I understand Bucky was trying to stand up for himself and not get bullied, but but I don't think that's the way you respond to a situation like that. So I just I think everybody's wrong. 
except uh but none of it's that big and honestly none of it's that big of a deal like everybody's a little bit wrong but no it doesn't really matter let's you know that's my opinion i've got to be honest with all the stuff that that, that, that we talk about all getting up to i've never actually heard of a situation where he has just blatantly cheated no of course not of course not he's it's got the high like he's be. such a cool purist he would never exactly. he would never disgrace the game that way his, I, his I, behavior I, he loses I'm control of his behavior and I but he doesn't dishonor and i say did that hit your hand Earl? and he says no i'm 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 gonna believe him because but, but and it wasn't about, but it wasn't about whether or not it was a foul. It was about the the match dynamics and the and the and the interpersonal bullying that was going on. That's what it was about. It wasn't about the so ruling. So. I don't think it had anything to do with the hand in the pocket. I think it was just something that was building up, and that was just yeah. the trigger to end it, kind of thing. Well, I, I'll I will say, Demetrius, you you said a statement that I I really want to push back on. You said he's such a pool purist that he would never dis disrespect the game that way. I mean. I, I got to push back on that. I mean, if he was a true pool purist, he disrespects his opponents quite a bit, right? I mean, so, we've seen so that plenty of times in the past. Yeah, that's there's different to disrespect in the game. Yeah, there's there's you behavior. Don't, there's there's don't, a lack of professionalism. And listen, Earl struggles to control his behavior. We understand this, but he does not. He 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 does not. He follows the rules of the game as well as anybody that's ever played he just doesn't follow the it's like the, there's personal conduct and then there's rules he follows his rules are you know in his and like if he bumps you know all this stuff he follows the rules perfectly he just doesn't his his personal conduct he struggles to manage in, at times you know that's it but yeah okay and ed, ed kearney saying that he blatantly lied when playing jason a few years ago one pocket that was actually straight pull and uh he called the two ball instead of the ten now he called the two ball because he thought it was a two ball, not the ten ball. I mean, he made a, he made an error in the ball he called. He didn't go for the two and made the ten. He made the ball he wanted to make. He just called. He got them mixed up, whether it's in his head or he was only seeing the top of the ball and saw the blue and called the two. But you can call that yeah cheating by saying I didn't call the 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 two, which he obviously did, but. He, he potted the ball he intended to pot, and I think he thought he should be allowed to continue. I think that was the situation there. Yeah. That's a great area right there. That's a great area, yeah. Well, and, and the, again, the context for that, I believe that there was context on that one too, where Earl had made issue with something that Jason had done. And again, so once, once again, yeah. once again, had, had Earl been a perfect gentleman and there had been nothing leading up to that moment, I'm sure Jason would have let him continue. So once again, it was a player trying to enforce, you know, something to kind of like stand up to Earl. There was, there was like, it's just, I don't like any of it, man. I, all this, it just, it's, it's too bad. I just want to play pool. Let's, let's just, yeah, I just want to play pool. Can't argue with that. Should we talk about the winner? Yeah, let's give some credit. So, Wait, so the, the winner, was a winner? I believe, I believe that, 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 uh, yeah, he's won it before, I think. Oh, only eight times now, is it? <laughs> so Jason Shaw, Jason Shaw was the winner. Donnie Mills played great. Uh, he, yeah. he ground out the set against Jesse, and then he went on and beat Bucky and Mika and got to the finals. And he had some tough squeaks on the way there, too. Uh, he played a player uh, to get there. I want to give a shout-out if I can remember. Who was it that almost uh, almost beat um, Donnie? My, my buddy Jesse ended up winning. Uh, I thought he ended up beating him. Anyway, there was a, a gentleman that was – I think it was Kevin West. Kevin West had him on the ropes. I think he had him stuck pretty good, and then Donnie came back. So Kevin West played a good, you know, he plays a real nice game. And so I want to give him some a shout out for that. But anyway, Donnie got to the finals and then Shaw is just 
Very, very, very difficult to beat. So Shaw takes first, Donnie Mills takes second, Mika takes third, Bucky takes fourth, Jesse takes fifth, sixth. Um, and then um, I think that the story, though, should we talk about the racking issues in the finals or anything about that? Or I think that that's a – does anybody know what happened in, in the finals? Go ahead. Go ahead. If, so if, it's, if you want it. Okay. So the, this was this was a, kind of a common thing that was being talked about on AZ Billiards. Mike Zuglin plays one on the spot, rack for your opponent. No three-point rule, no break box. Just triangle rack, one on the spot, rack for your opponent. And his rule about racking is just like no racking issues. Just rack the balls as best you can, break the rack, let's go. I'm sorry, I, I believe there was a break box, no? No, no. Oh, I'm sorry. No, 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 Jim, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, of course, there was a, there was a break box. Thank you. I'm confused. Uh, but then... Um, so his deal was uh, just rack the balls and break the balls. We're not going to have racking issues. And that works to a point. But then in the finals, what as, as people get deeper in the rack, uh, deeper in the, in the tournament, there's more and more, you know, they're playing better players. The, the stakes are higher and they are looking closer and closer at the racks. And so I will tell you, actually, I got a question from Alex. Shout out to Alex. Uh, Alex, are you the Alex I met the other day? Uh, I just just give me a thumbs up on that. I think so. I just wanted to confirm. Anyway, um, uh, and yeah, Alex, you had a good and you had a good tournament too. I, I can't Alex, remember if he took. He's a good player. Yeah, I don't know if he took. Yeah, did you take seventh ninth, or ninth? Ninth through twelfth. Ninth through twelfth. Good shooting, Alex. Anyway, um, the um, okay, he'd asked me about my break and run percentage, and it was low. But one of the reasons it was, or my make my successful break percentage was low. One of the reasons why is that I was not checking the racks for all my opponents early in the tournament. Like when I'm playing my first round match against a guy that I know I'm gonna, you know, do well against, I'm not gonna sit there and check every rack. And but maybe on my second match, maybe I should have checked every rack because a couple extra balls in the break would have done better. So neither a re-rack or just knowing which side to break from that might've helped me. And if I could have won that match, you know, maybe a couple extra chances would have mattered. So the, the point is, is that I can't blame these players for checking the racks with those rules, but what ended up happening in the finals was that the racking time averaged two and a half minutes per rack. Now that's, um, that's including the time of like from the time the nine ball was pocketed to the break of the next break. So like maybe a normal 20 seconds is normal or 30 seconds is normal, but they were spending an extra average of an extra two minutes a rack, which means that some racks were 30, 40 seconds. Other racks might've been three or four minutes of, you know, doing this. And it, it was like every time after every rack, it was like a commercial break where they'd have to stop and fight about the rack. And, 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 and the last thing I want to say before you turn it loose, they weren't fighting. Uh, Jason Shaw said that him and Donnie had talked about it before the match and they had agreed to do really, really whatever they had to do to be so we were both perfectly happy with the racks of each other. They were cooperative. This was not confrontational. This was cooperative that they were really trying to make sure that they were giving good racks to each other. So there was no tension, no confrontation, no bad feelings, just a lot of time invested. Thoughts on that? I mean, they handled it like adults. I mean, it sounds like, I mean, the idea is like you, I'd eliminate checking racks, uh, rack a number of times or a rack shot clock. That that definitely won't work. Either of those. Uh, if, if you if you do a, a rack a number of times, well, all you have to do is, oh, this one's bad. Oh, this one's bad. Oh, this one's bad. Oh, here's my last attempt, the fifth one. Oh, there it is. You know, and then it's just an absolute slug of a rack. And there's nothing you can do because you've gone through your shot clock or your number of attempts. And it, it's a way that it's a way that allows people who want to cheat a better opportunity to cheat. Right. Uh, and then 
you know, the, the can't check your opponents. Well, now you're just giving more license again for, you know, that style of tournament while it's old school and it's great for like, I guess the idea of racking for your opponent, like it used to be, you're just going to open it up for cheaters. If you do stuff like that. I mean, that that's, that's my thoughts on it. I mean, I didn't answer your question, but uh, I just wanted to say that before, you know, you guys give your opinion. So go ahead, Mike. I mean, you know, racking issues are racking issues. We have them every tournament. So, um, you know, they, they're in a situation where, you know, Mike's got his rules and Mike's rules are Mike's rules. So, um, you know, you have to do the best you can with that. I'm sure that it was a struggle for a lot of players through it, racking for each other, getting good racks, getting bad racks, whatever the case is. But, you know, uh, the racking issues are, are, are a constant thing in pool and it's just, different levels of what's more annoying than another. Um, I'm sure the finals, not surprising that Jason and Donnie worked out ahead of time to just make sure they did it as perfect as possible. And not surprising that that took an extra two or three minutes of wreck. So, you know, I don't know what the answers are. I mean, we've been fighting this battle for, for years. So, um, you know, I'm glad that they at least agreed that what they got in the final was, you know, 18 good racks and uh and god bless him for not pissing and moaning about it uh not surprised i mean donnie's such a good guy so um you know it racking issue is just annoying jim two sides of it it's the player side and it's the fan side uh the players want the best rack they can get and they don't mind the two and a half minutes uh, three minute racking in order to get that whereas the fans they don't like it. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I mean, it was it was getting quite late for me. It was uh, like one o'clock in the morning when the match started here. I fell asleep. Uh, and I almost fell asleep in Jason's match against Mika as well. Jason's 5-0 up or 4-0 up and it had taken 40 minutes and it's not like they were playing safeties on each other. I I would like love to ask Jason if it's ever taken him 40 minutes to run five racks in his entire life. He could have breakfast, dinner, and uh, uh, and lunch in between in between racks, and it's not going to take him that long to to run. I think he minutes. ran. I think so he ran three hundred fifty. I'm 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 going to I'm going to say there was a couple of safety shots played in there, so I'm thinking three minutes of rack. So that's like I think he over, ran. That's like over twenty minutes of racking. He may and have was, ran three. He may have ran three hundred fifty balls in yes. forty five minutes. <laughs> yeah. I mean that I, for me that for me is ridiculous. Now that's either. That for me is either the players being too picky or, I mean, maybe Demetrius can tell me. I mean, the the tables, when they get a new cloth put on them, are notoriously tough to get the balls together. If your balls are really, really well cleaned, new balls on a brand new cloth, hand racking, that, that can be notoriously tough to get no gaps in the rack. So that, that can be a little bit of an issue. Just tap a couple of spots, you know? Just maybe just tap the two balls behind the, the the nine, just to make it easier for players to rack them, and just to get them. There's only there's only like four balls that the players really care about whether they're tight or not. They don't need the entire rack. They just want one side of it round in the in the L shape to be tight round the back of the nine. That's all they care about. Then they pick which side based on that that they're going to break from. So they don't need the entire rack to be preferably they would, but they don't need it to be completely tight in order to make that wing ball. So um, so the the thing about that is though is that. There's, it's like, if you gave me 10 seconds, 40 seconds, or two minutes to rack the balls 10 times each at 10 seconds at 40 seconds at two minutes, if I had 10 seconds to rack 10 racks, 
uh, or, you know, 10 seconds each to rack 10 racks, the average quality of those racks would be pretty poor. There's going to be gaps on the one ball. There's going to be gaps on the wing ball. It's going to be bad. If I had 40 seconds each, I could deli- I could make the one frozen to both balls. And maybe I even get one of the L tracks good, but there might be a gap behind the nine where the nine might race towards the pocket. Or maybe I can't get it to where the corner ball has a chance of going because there's going to be a gap somewhere. But if I have two minutes or two and a half minutes, I can get to the rack to where it's perfect. The ball's behind the nine are touching, so the nine won't fly towards the corner. And you have the chance where if you make a good break, you might make the wing ball. So those are like three different levels of quality. And throughout the tournament, I think most of it was, hey, early rounds, we'll do the 10-second rack. And then middle rounds, we'll do the 40-second. And now in the finals, we want it really good. We don't want to see nine-ball breaks. And we don't want it, which, to be fair, I had a nine-ball break on me when the match I lost where early on where uh, I wasn't as, you know, deliberate on the rack as I should have been. So these things, I think that if, my opinion is, if you have these racking rules, this is what's going to happen. The players want to win. And in order to win, they have to get an opportunity. And so this is the the most important shot of the of the of the match is agreeing to the rack of your opponent. And if the spectators, just for the spectators that might not play a lot of sets with guys that run five packs on them, it's like the most important you fly out there and your most important shot is when you nod and agree to break that rack. At that level, that is actually one of the most important decisions that a player makes is agreeing to accept that rack. Now for people that say well so I, here's my point is with those rules, the way they are, the players are right to do whatever they need to do. So then if players think that this isn't good for the game or for the spectators, and so the rules should change, the only thing I'd say to that is Mike Zuglin was really clear at the players' people. He said he's been playing with these rules for whatever, 20 years, and his whole thing is he's not unwilling to change, but he's unwilling to change whimsically. So he said that if everybody else in pool comes together – and says, this is how nine ball is going to be, whatever it is. And they stick with it. He'll change to that. But when this tournament is this, and now we're moving the nine here, and now we're moving the box here, and now we're making the three-point rule here. And now he says every single tournament there's been a change. He's he's he so in Mike's opinion, he believes that continuity and consistency trump uh optimal, you know theory. He's like, I'd rather have what we've been doing has always worked. It's always been fine. We're going to keep doing it. And then if, if everybody else gets together and, you know, maybe if matchroom sticks with exactly the break they have now, where they get it where they want it. And it's like that for five years and everybody else in the world starts doing it the same way. And it's just, that's how it's done. He'll change. But as long as everything's changing around, changing around, changing around, changing around, he just feels like having it consistent. It works. It's a good game. We're going to keep doing it the same. And so, I don't blame the players given the rules and I don't blame Mike Zuglin for sticking to his guns because here's the last thing I'd say about it is we can, we can say, well, it's not the best for the fans, but you know what is the best for the fans is that we had a tournament. And I think Mike is the best tournament director in the country. The matches run on time. It's a great event, great players, great entertainment. Um, the thing is perfect. And we can sit here and nitpick about one or two things, but my opinion is uh, let's focus on what we have at the glasses. If it's not all the way full, it's, it's, 99%. I'm, I'm satisfied. Couldn't agree with more with that. Uh, so I guess Demetrius, as a, as a as a broad takeaway from the event since you were there, what did you think? Still still a good event? Uh, one of my favorites. Uh, there's a reason that the Turning Stones, I go to I go to January and August every year, um, and I, I will keep doing that. I, I've already signed up for January. Uh, just one of the best events of the year. Um, and um, I just, I think Mike Zuglin is the best tournament director in our country. So I think he's awesome. Cool. So I guess uh, let's talk. Well, 
I mean, I guess the Texas Open goes on. We haven't even mentioned the Texas Open. Uh, this is going on at the same time. The Texas Open, I guess, is the longest running tournament in the world, U.S. What? I mean, I, I remember during COVID, they 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 like had to force the the U, um, the Texas Open so that they wouldn't go a year without having it. Uh, and then ninety percent of the field got COVID from it. So, you know, whatever. But um, I guess Texas Open and Turning Stone. I don't think that you can make a top 10 list without both of these tournaments being on that list for the U S it's Mike. I mean, you've been covering this industry for at least five years. What do you think? Texas open is, you know, is, is been around for a zillion years. Um, It hasn't always been the strongest fields in the world. It's gotten a lot better in the last, you know, 10, 15 years for sure. A lot stronger fields wise. Uh, Turning stone, another one, you know, how can you not credit a guy for doing two tournaments a year for as long as he's done these events? Um, you know, Turning Stone, <laughs> I'm going to get held for this. I think it's a little overrated based on the quality of the field. Um, you know, you know, you said conflicting events meant all these guys from Texas weren't in Turning Stone. None of the guys in Texas ever go to Turning Stone. Um, well, Federer. So, uh, was Federer in Turning Stone before? Yeah, lost the yeah, final. Okay, so a few of them, a few of them have been in, but, but you know, notoriously, Turning Stone has, you know, a dozen, ten to twelve, top like players, and then a lot of really, you know, good East Coast players. But you know, it's not, it's not the U.S. Open. I mean, let's or the International. Let's not confuse it with any of those. Uh, the fact that they run them for this long and consistently paid out and been you know, favorites among the players, of course, that makes that puts them in the top 10 in U.S. Uh, tournaments for sure. Well, I mean, I mean that's my I, I'm with you for the most part, actually, on just about everything that you said there. Um, the top end, the top eight players are just as strong as any on their field, but the next 16 aren't right. I think that's kind of what your point is there, right? The next 16. Yeah. The next, the, next 100, 100, the next 116. The next 112. Sure. Well, I mean, the, the, the U.S. I mean, the U.S. Open's a little bit different now, but the U.S. Open five years ago, there was a hundred and there was a hundred and twenty plus dead money players in that, like that that are going to struggle to win three games in any given match, right? You I mean, now it's a little bit different. Top, you usually had thirty-two of the top players in the world. Well, that's not my point. 10. Is there's usually there's there's about well, not of course, 10. but we're not we're not comparing okay. them as if they're equals, right? We're comparing right. them. As that's if, what I'm, Turning that's what I'm Stone is a, it's a quality event. Yeah, yeah. I'm, a, yeah. I'm with you there. I'm with you there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So uh, I guess with that being said, um, what do we think that do we do we have any strong thoughts that the Texas Open and Turning Stone, if we all agree that they're both top U.S. top ten USA events, that they're scheduled on top of each other? I, I just think that Mike's been running his event a long time. And the other thing that, to be fair to Mike, he, so for those of the people that don't know this, this is, um, he's had to work really hard to keep this tournament alive because it's getting more and more difficult um, to negotiate with the casino. Um, he's had to make some adjustments and some, uh, some concessions so that this tournament, there was no carpet on the floors. He was saying in the players meeting that uh, they, the event center of the casino, they had to rent out the carpet. Apparently it was costing him like 12 grand to carpet the place for all this stuff. And he was like, so we played on concrete for the first time ever that they had concrete on the floors. 
he had to, instead of letting players stay where they wanted, he had to do what Matchroom did. He had to ensure uh, that everybody that played, you know, got a room. He had to, he had to guarantee a certain number of rooms. Uh, the room rates were a little higher than they used to be. Uh, and he's made a number of concessions with the Turning Stone Casino. And and it's not because they're just greedy and rich. Maybe, maybe it is. I don't know. But all I know is from Mike's perspective, uh, he does not have a guaranteed contract where these things are going to run indefinitely. He likes to say each one, the last couple of years since COVID hit, each one has kind of been the last one. And then it's like a case by case where they keep having to put it together. And so the bottom line is, is that Mike's got the long, you know, one of the longest running tournaments around he's, and he's working very, very hard to keep it alive for the players and actually make it better. Uh, and so, so I, I just feel like he doesn't have a lot of flexibility as far as the, the dates and how it goes down. And so, you know, well, people that Texas, run a Texas run, Hope has been running longer than turning stone and it's always on Labor Day. By far. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so it's just one of those things. I mean, and, and so people pick their poison. I mean, you know, neither neither one of them is the U.S. Open or the International. So you know, there's apparently enough good players and you know players who want to play in a pro event to play in, to fill up both fields. It's not like one really got run at the expense of the other. So right. um, if there's two events going on at the same time, God bless them. The thing I like about Turning Stone, I mean. Uh, I believe uh, the Texas Open is played in skinny bobs, is it? Yeah. Which is just a, which is basically just a pool a room. Pool. Yeah. A really yeah. big pool there, room. There's differences there for sure. The, this is what I, I I mean. This is I mean, and please, I don't want the one upset anybody here. I mean, pool is played in pool rooms, and but there's just something just a little bit more special about going to uh, an actual venue and seeing the setup there and seeing lines of tables all set up exactly the same just all with a nice with the crowds getting set up around about them like the turning stone and yeah texas open is it's a massive event in the in the u.s calendar you know as you said it's probably the longest run event same time every single year massive event for the u.s but it's i say still that i don't mean this the wrong way it's still played in a pool hall you know as much of a, yeah, it's, a, 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 you know, it's it's One's a it's gambler's, a one's a gambling event, and one's a one's exactly. a, uh, you and know, a casino again, venue event, and this. they're both they're both great. You know, they both. There's two sides. There's two sides of, of pool that we seem to fall into. I mean, and for my yeah. my side is I as much as you know, maybe Texas Open had better quality of players. I don't really know. I know that I, I know of some of the names that were there. Um, maybe tougher to win. I don't know, but it's just there's something about the it's something about just seeing yeah, my, the pools. I agree a hundred percent. So I, there's, there's a, I always say there's like three types of places you can go for a pool tournament, casinos, convention centers, and pool rooms. And the, and I've played these pool room events. And by the way, you're right. And Mike, I think said it, it's kind of a gambler type pool room feel where you got, that's why guys like Alex in Calcutta's little, little tip for you guys in, in pool room tournaments, Alex is a better pick in Calcutta's than he is in like the ballroom tournaments. He's just something about the environment. Anyway, the point is I like, the turning stone because as a player you get a choice do you want to know that you play at two you can have a breakfast go back to the room relax go down for your match play a match have a break until seven o'clock tonight maybe get some dinner watch a match you know whatever or do you want to be standing in a crowded pool room where you don't even have a place to sit and you got to stand around for six hours waiting to find out when your match is and then you're called at 11 a.m or 11 p.m and you got to play till two in the morning and come back at seven or so, something ridiculous so i'm not saying that's how the texas open is i'm just saying pool room tournaments typically involve endless hours of waiting around a pool room and getting you know just 
and not knowing and matches that run late and tournaments that run late and standing around and you know it's it's just a total we're going to a going to a convention center or a casino tournament uh, where they have posted matches and they run professionally. It's night and day. So, Jim, whether you're right, the, this field, I'm sure the Texas Open field was slightly tougher this time around. I can tell you that the January turning stones are very difficult. You have all the European guys. You have a lot of really good players, but not all of them, but a lot of them. But um, but it just feels more prestigious because of the way it's run. Yeah, makes sense. I don't disagree. I still think that Texas – I mean, if I had to, if, if you forced me to list these things and had to be, um, you know, in, in – terms of importance quote unquote to the american pool scene i put texas open ahead of the turning stone i I think it just it just has to be i think the longevity of the event um the quality i mean that i think the 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 quality of players in the texas open were better than the the turning stone um i guess we haven't even talked uh, about it i'll bet you any money you want the quality of the equipment was better at turning stone than it was at the texas open i probably wouldn't argue with that at all and for me that Uh, was more professional Sure, but we're not t- we're not talking opinion. about yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, um, Vitali uh, Vitali gets his first win that I know of in the U.S. Uh, he's been touring with Fedor and Christina now for close to a year. Has he uh, played Shane? Maybe, yet? maybe not that long. Has he's he? Playing, he's playing Shane Wolford, yeah. No, they oh. put it off because he was because he was continuing to play. They were going to do it during the event. No, oh, okay, uh, that's what I thought. Yeah, so they, they put it off. They put it off for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Vitaly um, gets first. Good for him. I mean, it's uh, the first. I would say that this is, from from what I know of him, this is his biggest win certainly since he's been in the U.S. Uh, beats Alex Peggy Lyon in the finals. Um, Josh Roberts gets third. John Mora gets fourth. Nayuki Oi, Jesus Intencio fifth, sixth. Uh, Cash and Keaton. Good for him. I mean, that's it's a, a young up and coming player from the U.S. that you know has a real chance of making some huge waves in the next coming years. Uh, and John Hennessy uh, gets seventh, eighth. Um, yeah, this is definitely a much deeper event. So looking down, I mean, Jeremy Jones, Robert Frost, uh, Fedor Gorst, Roland Garcia, nine through twelfth, fifteen through uh, thirteen through sixteen. Got uh, Roberto Gomez, Shane Wolford. Dan Schneider, uh, Chip Compton. I mean, this is definitely a significantly deeper event. Yeah, no doubt about it. Isn't it, isn't it funny, though, some of these names, Chip Compton, Josh Roberts, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of like, uh, you know. It's just like, they have like, a one-pocket tournament tied into it. Yeah. I mean, that's why they're some of these guys. <laughs> yeah, some of these guys. These guys can't play rotation. But, I mean, oh, Hennessy. Hennessy, you know, all the. Yeah. How far do they go at Tunnelstone? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think, I, think, I think they're all there for the, the one-pocket mostly. Mm. Yeah, you I know, think Cash Cash Keaton beating Feder is a great story, and I just awesome. love yeah, I just love that there's an upcoming player named Cash. I mean, how can on the hill too? That? Jesus, yeah. <laughs> but even, don't even become a gambler, become a professional. Even going, <laughs> even going back, don't waste, even looking don't waste at your talent on gambling. I mean, as a magazine guy, the potential headlines with a kid named Cash <laughs> is just like it's like an editor's wet dream, man. <laughs> well then that's where we went today i thought i thought the most controversial thing we would be saying today was the earl situation but i guess uh, <laughs> no I guess you, mike earl, had his own plan earl, earl will never tap me <laughs> yeah I, i've been watching waiting for uh you know a, a post about blasting mike again but um well, that's why you know it you wasn't know. earl it was it was his posse 
Yeah, maybe. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, this is a significantly deeper event. It looked like it was a great event. Um, I mean, I, I, I would much rather go to, like you guys were saying, a, an arena-style event or even a convention-style event, you know, because now you're talking about, like, uh, well, really, I mean, I guess isn't, well, I guess it kind of depends how you define it, but it doesn't really matter. I would much rather go to those than a pool room event, although pool room events have their place. They both have the charms. You know, they both have the charms. Absolutely. Yeah. I yeah. love so I love I love events in the pool room as well, but it's just a different it's different. Yeah. And you know, they, they mentioned that the this one did have the digital pool and that they were posting match times and that it ran smoother. So uh good good props to them and a shout out to little Chris. So yeah, it's um uh, it's obviously if they're if they're making it run better and they're you know. I, I don't mean to like pigeonhole them in some antiquated thing. You know, this sounds like it, it sounds like a great tournament. I'm I'm sad that I had to choose because I would have liked to have gone to that one too. What 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 I what what I'm not a big fan of with with the with the pool room tournaments is you you you'll get down to the final. You'll have the main event. You'll get down to the final, and you let let's say you've got a final and it's 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 Feder against Jason. You almost always play it at two a.m. <laughs> you're well, you're almost playing it at two a.m. But you've got another twenty tables. In the, in the arena. And then you've got uh, Scott Frost or Chip Compton who all of a sudden turn around and say, let's go over the back corner here and play for 30 grand. And all of a sudden, half the crowd who should be watching the final of the main event are starting betting on a game that's happening at the other side of the venue and they're all over there watching it. I mean, yeah, I'm what does sure that, that tell you, Jim? That... that <laughs> I just that that annoys me. You've you've played you've played like four or five days or whatever to get to a final, and then everybody's off watching another match in the corner. Or or to Nate's point, you're playing the finals at two a.m., which I've had at some pool rooms where nobody's there to watch. I I agree. I think that there's a this is the classic thing between you know when you're talking about their last name of cash, and I was like, yeah, it's too bad there's not a uh, you know a pool player with the last name of trophy because it seems like there's this constant thing where it's this remnants from 60 years ago where you know like the jimmy bataya video you know only you know you're gonna go put a you know trophy down as a down payment on your house at the bank i don't think so the banker doesn't think so his whole cash is where it's at thing it's like there's still a lot of that in our culture and so when you have these main events that are run in a convention center or a casino it's just it's all about the tournament and it's very prestigious like like jim's saying when you're at a pool room it's always like yeah we're having a tournament but then we'll see who's mixing it up and let's see who can, I want a piece of ham or maybe we could get him back against him. And it's like, it just, it's like we shift back into the eighties all of a sudden, you know? And then, and then, and then these, uh, which some people like. Yeah. And then these conference centers ones, you can't just walk on a table. You can't just Mm. have two guys in the crowd saying, do you want to go and play over there? Yeah. You you just can't do it. You don't go on the tables. So yeah. All the attention goes to where the attention is supposed to be, you know? Sure. I don't know. Uh, I that's a, what I'm confused. What Jonathan Hennessy did to earn a spot in the Moscone Cup that <laughs> somebody like Josh Roberts hasn't earned. What is? He, what is well, I'll tell you. He I, I heard that he finished his matches without forfeiting. Sorry. Okay. Too soon. I I, I love the idea. I love the Josh Roberts. I love the Josh Roberts love. I mean, I think that I think he's at this point the most underrated pool player in the U.S. The problem is, you know, match if to Matchroom's credit, they have made a very, very, very clear way of making the U.S. Moscone Cup. All you got to do is put your head down and grind. And Greg Hogue is doing it. Nick DeLeon is doing it. Shane Wolford is doing it. You know, these players are going to these events. They're doing it. They're putting their head down and doing it. Like at the end of the day, like nobody deserves a shot just for what you've achieved unless you're going through the exact process they tell you. 
you know, go to the events, play the events. That, that's, that's, that, that is what it is. I, I would be a great towel boy. Thank you very much, Alex. I think, what have you done to earn being towel boy? That's what I'd like to know. I need something to clean up my beer spills. So I have <laughs> towels available to me on site all the time. So I have you're the like towels the, available. You're like the Jonathan Hennessy of towel boys. Oh my God. I'm going to trust me. He does spill a lot of beer. Doesn't so, drink much, uh, but he spills a lot. Yeah. I love I love playing God. Jim, that is so BS. You told me at the Moscone Cup that I am one of the few Americans you can drink with all day long. So I don't want to hear it. I did not those words never ever passed yep. my lips. That is a complete lie. I said for an American, you do okay. I didn't say you were you know, don't make it sound like I was praising your drinking abilities. All right. So how are we doing? <laughs> a lot better. <laughs> wow. One man should old. not get all this power. One never man should old. not have never all this power. Old, it? Never gets old. No. I don't know. Uh is there anything else that, what, what do you guys think? Is there anything else that we got to uh discuss for this one? I think I think we had a pretty good podcast today. <laughs> if I do say so myself. <laughs> I don't know the 45 the 45 minutes we spent on putting your hand in the pocket was a little bit lengthy. <laughs> let, well, let, well, don't bring it up again. Oh well, yeah, yeah. Let's revisit it. Well, let's <laughs> revisit the pocket, hand in the pocket thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. That was kind of it. Why, that's good, yeah. man. I've got, I've got a question for you guys. Why, why does Jason win eight of these? Why, why is he so? Well, Jason's won eight, and Shane won the other seven. If you look back at the last fifteen, so what that tells me is that the top players in that whole field come down to Jason and Shane against the field because it's just not that strong from two to ten and, and nothing beyond ten. But you've got that to me is that to me is it's it's almost that simple. I mean I'm not downplaying Mika or guys like that, but Jason and Shane are the fine are the favorites to get to the final every time that tournament goes on because it's hard for them to lose before the final eight. Okay, yeah, they're the only two players playing real good pool, and then he came up against Jason and he, he fell apart. Who's that? How does that happen? Mika was playing real, real good pool. No, no I'm not play. saying that Shane, and then, and then Jason and Shane are the two best players in the field, and there's not a lot of keep people keeping them from the final eight or the final four. No, yeah, and, it, and, and, and I think that Mike's got a point is that you can keep sometimes you can keep one of them, but it's hard to keep them both. So, like, I just saw you know, uh, in January when Jason won, he was down eight to three twice once to earl and he got it to eight four and ran five racks once to some gentleman from kuwait he was down eight to three i was watching the match he was he ran out the set again and and then he in the finals against fedor he was down ten to four and he got he somehow no nine to four he was down nine to four he came back and got a 13, 13 to 10. 11 yeah so yeah. the 13 i thought it was 13 no, 10, you're but, right one thing you did say i wanted to comment on demetrius too is, is the january one is a lot tougher for certain because a lot of the well, europeans and i think it was because the overlap yeah, the, the overlap. Yeah. I I was really blown away. This this was the softest field I've ever seen at Turning Stone was this weekend, and I think it was because of the overlap. Because normally, I know you've got Fortunski and you've got Mora and you've got like four or five Polish guys and Dan Schneider beat me out one year. And uh, me, you know, it's just it's always been really tough. Uh, and this year it was a little soft. But so the point is, is that they're both so good at nine ball that one of them can get stopped, but it's hard for them both to get stopped. And and why that, you know, and partly they check the they they check the racks and they also break. I think Jason and Shane have two of the best nine ball breaks in the world. They're two of the best and they're two of the top five players in the world. So it's like 
two of the top four or five. So you put that together, like Mike says, you can stop one of them. It's hard to stop them both. Uh, very, very tough to win a set off those guys. What, 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 what was the equipment? Standard Diamonds 425? Um, I'm sure that they were, you know, I don't know, Pac. I would assume that they were four and a half, but maybe not. Maybe they were, I don't know. I think they were probably, I don't know. I, I, I honestly, I'm not an equipment guy. I just play. They didn't feel. Uh, four and a half is pro cut. They, they felt like standard four and a half with, but the thing is that they didn't have brand new cloth. It was like, it was, it was newish, but not new. So like the pockets would, you'd have a little slide, but they weren't playing like buckets like you would on brand new cloth. So it was kind of like, bro, you know, somewhat broken in like maybe like a month old cloth or three week old cloth. So it played fine. It, it played normal. Yeah. Four and a half is standard. I mean, that's pro cut. I mean, that's, it's standard. I mean, it's not well, standard for matchable well, events I thought, now. But... I thought Diamond's standard was 425 now. 4.5. And listen, if, you know, my opinion is, you know, people talk about pocket size. Like, I think if you're playing on new cloth, like brand new cloth, I think four to four and a quarter inch is fine. But I think if you're playing with like broken end cloth, I think that four and a half is right. Um, I just don't, I think that once, you know, I've got a table right over here with four and a half inch pockets. The cloth hasn't been changed in a year, and I put commercial level use on uh, because of the training, pool training plug. Uh, anyway, the uh, the training I put in. So we put a lot. I mean, it's worn. The balls are gritty. It is much tougher to pocket balls on my four and a half inch table than it would be uh, the when I played the U.S. Open last year with four and a quarter and new cloth. It felt soft to me. So like the point is, is I'm not as I don't worry as much about the actual technical size. It's the playability. And I think that I think that if you're playing on worn cloth, four and a half is fine. If you're playing on new cloth every time, four and a quarter or tighter is good. Okay. Well, uh, a little Chris, I actually agree. That's a perfect analogy for it. But I think uh we're not going we, back we there. That Chris. We're no, not we're going not. back I, there. <laughs> I think we're uh I think we're good. I, I think I think this is a good podcast. We're at a good amount of time right now. Um Anybody have any announcements they want you know, to make? You know what? You know what? Here? Guys, I'm sorry. I'm forfeiting out of the podcast. I'm, I'm forfeiting out. <laughs> he's been wow. I know I know damn well he's been waiting an hour and a half to make that joke. I know I know and I can pro and, and I can promise you he's never put his hand in his pocket. <laughs> <laughs> Probably true. <laughs> That's funny. So he, he's done he's done a shame. Yeah. Sure. Well, uh, Mike, any uh, any announcements that you want to make, Bill, your digest related? No. But I do want to, you know, get together one of these days and talk about the Hall of Fame banquet in the Hall of Fame this year. We do. Oh, we I'm are going to do that. Uh, you do not get an invite to that. Why would you get an invite to that? I did talk to, uh, I talked to Jerry. If Bryson, you come over for the international, I will invite you as my guest to the Hall of Fame banquet. Is it going to be during the international this year? Yeah, you don't yep. fancy doing it. You don't fancy extending and doing it during Moscone, you know? Um, not not every time Moscone's here. Uh, you have to pick the right years. It'll be at Moscone in two years. When Shane gets it. No. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll be one of yeah. 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 Well, he's not getting. And it'll give us another not opportunity to to raise enough money to get all the uh, living Hall of Famers there as well. He's not getting my vote. So, not after he we'll forfeited it out. Ooh. Well, I'm sure I'm going to go, go out on the limb and say you're, you're he's going to get in without your vote. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be your vote that makes the difference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll go out on the limb on that one. Yeah. That is, don't worry. That's I don't think joke. he needs your vote. He's getting my vote. Don't worry. 
Um, as far as like uh, discussing like the gambling matches, there's been a lot of them that have been. Uh, I, I see there was a lot of people like asking us to like talk about um, you know different matchups. There's a bunch of them coming up. Tony and Alex, Tony and Shane, uh, Shane Wolford and uh, Vitali. I mean, there's a bunch of them that are coming up. We'll talk about them when it's more timely. Well, like when uh, you know when when the matches come up, it doesn't pay to talk about Shane and Tony right now when they're not playing until the day after the Moscone Cup ends. I think. Is when they're starting at Griff's. So when, when's when Shane, when Shane playing Jason the big set? They've got a threat come up as well, don't they? October, yeah, right. It's uh right after I, th- I believe it's the Monday after the Moscone Cup. Um, they're playing Shane. Same rules as the European Open. Yeah, Shane Shane versus Jason. So I, I, it's the Monday because I was trying to get that in Wisconsin and it fell through unfortunately. But uh, you know, whatever. Uh, that is going to be yeah the Monday after the Moscone Cup. Is, and do we know where? Uh, they said Shane was playing. I thought you said Shane was playing uh, the Monday day after Moscone Cup against Choham. I think I don't think you're talking about Moscone Cup with Jason. Jay, Jace. No, I said, I said the U.S. Open, didn't I? No, you said yeah, Moscone Cup. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so I said, yeah. Sorry. Where are they going to play? Shane and Shane. So Shane and Tony are playing the day after the Moscone Cup. Right. Shane, Shane and Jason, Jason are playing the Monday Open. after the U.S. Open. Yes. Yeah, Sorry. because because Shane and Shane, Shane and uh, Tony are playing in Vegas, aren't they? Yeah. They're playing at Griffs. Griffs. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm I'm actually going to be there till Monday, so I'll probably watch some of it. Um, let's see here. It is being played at the Rocking Q in Harling Harlingen, Texas. Shane and Jason. Okay. Yeah, and then Shane is playing at Shane and Tony are playing at Griff's. So he's put himself up in a lot of action, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, just well, I mean, why not? I mean, I think uh I think I saw a post uh it might have been Molina Mike that said there's up to seventy K on each side. Uh Shane and Tony. They won't get that much for Shane and Jason, there's no way, but um No, because Tony brings a lot of money with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed. Tony brings a big a big boat with him. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed the interview that uh, that Tony did with with uh, I think with Melina Mike. Yeah, he was very he was very clever in the way he he, he spoke about oh, uh, big, big, about about top players playing one pocket. Saying, well, why shouldn't they play against me? You know, they're 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 better potters. They're better. and he was really building them up and building them up. It's like getting a little fish on the. Kind of thing he, he spoke very well about you know i don't understand why people don't want to play me why would they want to play me? <laughs> it was a very good interview it was very uh it was yeah, a gamble's was interview <laughs> yes it sure was it was a gamble's sure interview yeah, yeah very good yeah. all right well uh let's close it out there at this point then um yeah uh appreciate you guys joining thanks everybody for partaking in the comments today it was uh it's pretty awesome to see all the comments coming in today. Of course, it's a really polarizing podcast, so you'd expect that. But uh, appreciate you all joining in, and I guess until next week. See you guys. <laughs>